Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody, happy new year from Conspiranormal. It's a brand new year. It's 2021. Already absolutely insane. Uh, you know what? It really, really is. It really, really is. We've had an awesome uh, event happen in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm, of course, being facetious because it was absolutely horrible. But, um, you know, interesting nonetheless, the ancient Chinese proverb of living in interesting times is definitely coming true in the uh, early 2020s. So, yeah, I mean, I think we'll have more to talk about it later on, probably in like a page in another in a Patreon episode at some point. But uh, right. And in the Patreon episode that did just come out. So hopefully uh, our patrons and conspiranormalists can check out. Uh, we uh, discussed something, some controversial events within the 14 and paranormal worlds, which we thought were uh, quite the hot topics before <laughs> before the day after this episode was recorded. Yes. Um, makes all this yes. look quite trivial. Yeah, it makes it look, uh, yeah, makes it, yeah, like you said, makes it look trite. Um so, yeah, I don't think that this is something that uh, we have ever seen before. Um, I can't think of another time in American history where anything like this has happened. I can think of, t- of many times in the history of many other countries where this has happened. <laughs> but in American history, I, uh, I, I can't. So, I mean, basically... We're recording this little intro here a few days after we recorded the the show, and uh, right now, as of January the night of January eighth, twenty twenty one, they're talking about impeaching Trump again and uh, possibility of removing him from office, and this is all like in less than two weeks before he's gone anyway. Like this is how serious this shit has uh has become so and once again um much uh, uh conspiracy theory has been in the crosshairs yeah. <laughs> in its role yeah. in creating this environment. well it's de- it, it's definitely something that has helped it along that's for sure and uh not that you know we haven't been exploring this exact uh this exact phenomenon 
Uh, most simply put is weaponization of conspiracy theory on a level we've never seen before and a war on reality. Um, we, those, we, we've been exploring those themes all of last year yeah. and uh, talk about coming to a head. Yeah, uh, it's all coming to a head. Well, we just hope that everybody is really uh, safe out there and you guys are uh, watching it as intently as we are because it's some pretty interesting and scary times. And by the way, um, you know, coronavirus continues to kill about 4,000 people a day. Now that's the news that, you know, has kind of gotten shoved to the side after all this. So, you know, there we are. So, but the reason that we're kind of doing this intro and I don't know, we may do intros from here on out. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, the reason that we're doing this is that we just kind of want to give you guys like a little bit of a disclaimer about the episode that you're going to hear, which is our interview with Alex Sakaris. Um, we did talk about some of our usual stuff, which is, you know, UFOs and, uh, uh, ability and, uh, reincarnation even comes up at one point, um, near death experiences comes up at one point, which is something I'd like to talk more about, but, uh, we ended up kind of getting bogged down in a discussion on satanic ritual abuse. And I think that you were editing the show this morning and you told me, I guess you were estimating it to be about 40% of this episode. Yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. We do know that, uh, you know, he, he wrote about it in his book. Um, that was the main... Yeah, the Why Evil Matters. Why book. Evil Matters, yeah. the main focus of the episode. Um, but we really were not uh, prepared for a debate on a lot of the minutia of cases and things like that. Uh, we know it's not something you're usually used to hearing too much lately on Conspiranormal, because obviously me and Adam are quite skeptical of satanic ritual abuse narratives and what became known as the satanic panic. Um, always saying, not that we are saying that there has never been documented cases of organized network of abuse of people and children, but... Uh, we think uh, the satanic ritual abuse narrative is largely convoluted and has done a disservice to actually stopping those types of abuse. Yeah, and that is something that I hope that um, we kind of stood our ground on a little bit on this in this episode. Um, as you just heard now, and as you're going to hear in this episode... Uh, I think that we, you know, we tried our best to kind of counter some of this, um, but then we also try our best in the outro section to talk about it as well. So uh, just the usual kind of generic disclaimer that, you know, and I hope you guys know this by now that the views of the, ho of the guests do not necessarily reflect our views. Um, and also, I do want to add, too, that, uh, that it does get kind of descriptive at a certain point. So I do want to make sure that, you know, if you are easily triggered by such descriptions of things like abuse, particularly child abuse, I would be, you may want to just sit this one out. So you have been 
sufficiently warned in the front. Right, but there's so. a lot of other interesting things we talk about and that uh, we don't have any major disagreements about at all and a lot of good insight that Sakaris uh, provides as well. But we just kind of felt like that bogged it down a little bit. But uh, nonetheless, we're still putting the episode out. Yeah. And we hope that you guys um, at least find it interesting. So I think without further ado, we'll go to the interview. All right. Welcome, guys, to Conspire Normal. It's uh, the first show of, well, I guess the first technical show of 2021 that we're actually recording in 2021. Welcome back. Happy New Year. All that great stuff. Welcome to the future. Welcome to the future. Yeah, we hope it's going to be a better year than 2020. And we're starting out with um, a guest that uh, is about to have a book out about um, about evil, and actually a first-time guest, Alex Sakaris. Welcome to uh, Conspiracy Normal, Alex. Well, awesome. So great to be here with you guys, Adam, Serfiel. I, like I said, I've known about you guys for a long time, and it's good to connect. Yeah, absolutely, man. We've been uh, we've been kind of chatting here for like the last twenty minutes, talking about like <laughs> interesting family learn Adam's whole life stuff. story. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been uh, it's been interesting. So um, the book that you have, uh, or, or I guess the book isn't coming out quite yet, right? Um, it's called e- "Why Evil Matters." Got to get and that I subtitle th- in there because that's going to be our t- that's going to be our topic I of think- conversation. I think it's coming in. When is the uh, when does the book come out? It's like coming out. Like, is it soon? Yeah, it's soon. You know, it's one of those things. I a pu- I had a publisher, and the publisher dropped me right at the last minute, and Ooh. not exactly it- sure why. But uh, anyways, end of this month, January, beginning of the next month, I'm pushing it out. And the subtitle is "How Science and Religion Fumbled a Big One." That's right. That's right. We're going to put those guys in the crosshairs. Science and religion fumbled it. So I guess really to start off with, Alex, just kind of like we talk a little bit about yourself. I mean, you're the um, you are the host of the Skeptico podcast, um, which is a very popular podcast, as I understand. And just like why I, what I want to start off with, though, is kind of talking about you know, how you got into these subjects yourself, how that occurred for you and how this examination of why evil matters is based on kind of like your views on consciousness. Well, it does in a way relate to the conversation we were just having before in that, you know, when I started, I started way back, way back. And I was, first off, I was just a business guy. And I was high tech, had a company, was fortunate enough to sell my company. And I always had in the back of my mind, I always had an interest in spirituality and science and whether or not my own spirituality was squaring with science and what science had to say. And I was interested in skepticism and skeptics and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, as I heard you talk about, you know, your journey into podcasting, mine was really about, I want to talk to these guys that seem to know stuff that I want to know, but you can't just call them up and say, answer my questions. So podcasting was my vehicle to 
be able to call up Rupert Sheldrick and Dean Radin. And those were the guys who initially who I was interested in because they were doing something called parapsychology. And that seemed like the closest thing for me between this science spirituality question. So you started talking to guys like Rupert Sheldrick and Dean Radin and to try to kind of figure out like what science has to say about consciousness in particular. I didn't understand it as consciousness at the time, to be totally honest. I just understood that science was saying that everything strange and paranormal was absolutely impossible. And anyone who even believed any of it was nuts. And they were throwing spirituality in there too, you know, all the aspects of spirituality, really all the aspects of us being more of people being more than, you know, my pet phrase, biological robots in a meaningless universe. That was science's dogmatic position. So finding Sheldrick, Dean Radin and other people who were pushing against that in a very scientific way and saying, you know, wait a minute. I mean, Rupert Sheldrick is a Cambridge biologist and highly regarded, you know, and is publishing in Nature magazine. And he's saying, slow your roll there a little bit. That doesn't really square with the data. We are not, doesn't look like we are this, these biological robots. And it looks like consciousness is more than what we think it is. So that was kind of my entry point into the whole thing. And it's funny, but that whole journey is what led me to conspiracy because what I came to understand at the end of the day, that science's insistence that we are nothing, that you are meaningless because you're in a meaningless universe is not accidental. It is, that is my conclusion that it is more conspiratorial, that that is a good starting point as a way of controlling the masses is, you know, have people be feel like they're meaningless and depressed and not really important rather than as these infinite divine spiritual light beings. They're harder to control than uh, biological robots in a meaningless universe. And, you know, I, I was, we we're talking initially, and I love the way you guys approach the conspiracy topic very carefully in that you're not jumping on this bandwagon or that bandwagon and are, are looking for, you know, a, a reasoned base approach to it. And I feel like I'm, I'm similar. So I, I really appreciate where that question is coming from. And I'm of a similar mindset. And one thing I think is just because we're able to identify something as, gee, that sure looks like it has all the earmarks of a conspiracy, you know, because it kind of fits, checks all these boxes, which I would say is definitely true for the consciousness is an illusion conspiracy, because it is at the end of the day, such an absurd idea, absurd philosophically and most importantly, it's experimentally absurd. It just doesn't fit any of the experiments. And then the, the third way it's absurd, which kind of gets to, I think, and I, I think it, it was Serfiel, you asked that question, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
The other thing that we have that directly would point in that direction and contradicts the non-conspiracy idea is when you look at something like uh, Project Stargate, which is the famous remote viewing program that, by the way, was under the auspices of the MK Ultra program. Right. So it's just one of the wings of the MK Ultra. It, it kind of gets this sanitized view of it because we all feel comfortable with, oh, remote viewing. But it is in that it, it's that part of that program. But here's the, the killer on that is they didn't think that we were biological robots in a meaningless universe. Their, their whole uh, it, the whole practice presupposed that consciousness is expansive extended consciousness realms even if we don't understand them we can begin to learn how to weaponize them how to manipulate them how to use them that was part of their program that they ran for 20 years and if anyone ever had any doubts about the legitimacy of that program well they just released sixty thousand documents into the public domain yeah. And it's it now cannot even be questioned that they had proven to themselves over and over again that there was a reality to it. So now you have a real mismatch, right? You got the government insiders playing with the extended consciousness realm, and then you have the hardline science just kind of maintaining the old, the old thing, you know, oh, no, consciousness is an illusion, Nothing here, boys. Just move on. Yeah, something like Project Stargate. I mean, they would have, like you said, they would have taken it uh, at face value from the get-go that this is real and that this is that you know extended consciousness is a is an actual thing. There was no debate in their circles, right? And and we have to assume that or, or, or whatever debate there was had been settled <laughs> and they had decided, right. okay, we can move forward. Uh, are you talking about a conspiracy that is kind of from uh, the enlightenment time or perhaps the Renaissance, or do you think this is something that goes back, goes back further? Oh, that's a really good question too. Um, Cause what we think of as this materialist paradigm, you know, really comes from that classic Newtonian uh, kind of, you know, world that was created in the Enlightenment. Right. I just think it gets, you know, as you go back in time and you try and piece together that history, I, I think it's harder for us to really know how those guys were processing it. Because one of the things that I think pops up again and again, and it's back to why I kind of was kidding around, but not really about the subtitle of the book, is Religion, and in particular, we got to call out Christianity, really clouds, really poisons the well in this whole thing for for the longest time, because a lot of what we're seeing with science is reactionary against some uh, dogmatic and what we would now understand to be, you know, not very well-reasoned Christian uh, apologetics and Christian control of, you know, all the stuff that has been going on for the longest time inside the church in terms of political and uh, social control and, and uh, power and money control, which is, you know, well-documented. That's not to say that there isn't real spirituality emerging from that tradition as well, but in terms of, you know, really pulling that apart, um, 
there was a legitimate, I think, to get to my response to your question. I'd love to hear what you guys think on this. There was a legitimate kind of, hey, we have to wrestle control away from this ridiculous papal, the Pope and his greedy bishops, you know, 12 year old bishop who's collecting all the money and all, all that craziness. So there's a natural kind of move against that as well. What do you guys think? Well, I think I would agree to a certain extent on that, um, that definitely that science was almost like a reaction to, or I guess the science of the enlightenment rather was really a, of a reaction to like some of the things that the church would not budge on. I mean, I guess like Galileo would be like a good example of that. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's what, that's what you use in the book. I think to really showcase that is don't you Alex? Um, I don't think I was so much on Galileo. Was I? I think, I think you said that was kind of where that, disposition you know really was really came from the way we think about it now as far as that science versus the church kind of thing oh, oh yeah. you know what I, I it was one of my guests okay okay yeah yeah <laughs> it, it, no you're definitely right and i think it was oh it could have been a couple different guys i can't really remember right now yeah but it was one of my guests who kind of pointed out that history I think it was Donald Hoffman. Does that seem right to you, Dr. Donald Hoffman, who's a Caltech physicist and really a, a cool guy? It was a cool interview. Um, as far as how I feel about it, I I really think the um, the whole kind of disenchantment of the world thing is a is kind of a myth, and I think a lot of those those early people of the Enlightenment, you know, they they definitely had documented. Um, spiritual metaphysical interests um and they're not mutually exclusive but uh i'm actually reading this really good book right now from uh jason a joseph josephson storm called the myth of disenchantment magic modernity and the birth of the human sciences which really goes into that and how we have this popular conception that you know since the enlightenment the world's been disenchanted and we keep saying that we're having these magical revivals and things like that, but it never really, it never really went anywhere. And, uh, this idea that it was disenchanted beginning with the enlightenment is a really much more modern idea. I think that's, uh, you know, that just strikes me as probably more true than not. I mean, certainly Newton, you know, he's been kind of, uh, outed as a very uh, yeah. culted kind of guy, yeah. but also a very spiritual, genuinely spiritual, you know? So it's like, and that's what I'm saying. I think it's hard as you go further back in history, because we, we don't understand the culture that those guys were in. We don't even understand the culture that we're in a lot of times. And we're kind of trying to figure that out. And then as, as Americans were especially ethnocentric, you know, and we go look at somebody else's culture and we go, oh, wow, that's really your view. And I, I think that's kind of part of our 
part of our dilemma here is that, you know, the, the idea that consciousness is an, is an illusion. You know, the Neil deGrasse Tyson quote that I have in the book, and I play it on Skeptical all the time, and, you know, it's, it's just so absurd. And then I'm laughing, and it was, I had the interview with Bernardo Castro, Dr. Bernardo Castro, and we're both just laughing. You know, it's like, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that consciousness is nothing. This is Neil deGrasse Tyson, who, like it or not, is kind of the mouthpiece for science as we know it, saying something that is just completely absurd. And it, if you took it back to, well, like we're talking about, you couldn't place that comment in any time or any place when a people wouldn't just kind of scratch their heads and go, what the hell are you talking about? Consciousness is an illusion. You're not sure whether you are in there. I mean, think how ridiculous that is. I mean, I, I don't know if you're there, Adam, but the one thing and the only thing I do know for sure, I'm in here. That voice right. inside my head is me. Right. And, and, and for science to do this kind of in your face kind of thing that maybe that's just an illusion. Maybe you're not really in there. And like the thing I always tell you, you know, if you want to look at the scientific experiments, there's bunch of them but it all starts with all the way back to the double slit experiment that is a consciousness experiment they weren't they, they weren't really interested in light beams going through slits what they were interested in is consciousness is consciousness playing a role in all the stuff we're observing and the answer that they found and it's been repeated over and over and over again every which way they do it is absolutely yes. And you'll still hear people go, well, that depends on how you interpret it and this and that. And it's, that's just not true. The answer is always the same. The observer effect is real. Right. Consciousness is in play in all the experiments. Yeah, that's what I was about to. Yeah, that's what I was about to bring up. I mean, things like the, the, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle and these type of things like, you know, how do we actually influence our environment? So if we're not, if we don't have a consciousness, if we don't have some kind of influence, then I, I would see maybe that if there wasn't any kind of influence that we wouldn't have, that we're just, we're just nothing. We're just a set of um, neurons going off all the time. And we're just like, we're just based on our chemicals and our emotions that we feel are just based on our chemicals. And these, these type of ideas, it's just like, you, you have to like, look at the spiritual side of that. And that's why I really appreciate things, people like Dean Radin and this kind of like psi research of just like, we do have a much more like, non-material influence on our environment if that makes sense yeah i would agree well and so this kind of this new religion of scientism and this can if there if there is a conspiracy that exists you are i want to get get it right that you are kind of proposing that it it has in its interest um it, it wants to promote this kind of strict materialism that negates uh, the existence of evil because that actually enables uh, more of the evil to actually exist. Is that what you're 
kind of saying with, with, with that part of it, with the science part? I wouldn't actually go quite that way because it, to me, it's a little bit subtler and stranger than that. Okay. I think the, the conspiracy, uh, the scientism conspiracy, as you put it, which I think is a good way to put it, is uh, clear, is better understood as just you want to have that control, right? I mean, seeding, you, you've already spent all this hundreds of years and all this energy wrestling control away from the church. The last thing you want to do is let down your guard and let those bastards come in the back door by starting to say, well, you know, actually, now that we've looked at it, there is this extended consciousness realm, and we can't totally rule out things like angels and demons and God. We, we can't really shut the door on that quite like we thought we did, right? That's not good for business, number one, for the business of science, but it also isn't good for the social control mechanism. It's not good for, hey, how do we just kind of keep everyone in line kind of thing. So I don't think you need to have a smoky room in the back to mm-hmm. orchestrate that. I think you just kind of see things going in a certain direction and you set up those institutions and you're happy to see them run. The evil thing, I think, is quite another issue because the strange thing about the evil thing is that science is sitting there and science is completely denying evil, right? They're just laughing. They're like, ha, 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 you think evil? I mean, consciousness is an illusion. All you idiots running around. There's none of that is true because consciousness isn't even real. See what I'm saying? I mean, Mm -hmm. they, they can just dismiss it out of hand. But the thing that's strange about our culture that everyone can see now, and it's more outed, it's kind of over the top the way it's outed, is that there's this kind of wink and nod acknowledgement in our culture on Netflix, on, you know, every movie that, well, there is a reality to this extended darkness realm, you know, as well. And all our celebrities and our music and all that stuff is is acknowledging it openly. So you have this kind of strange situation where you have science on one hand saying, well, that's just ridiculous. And anyone who believes it is silly. And then you have this other kind of main pillar in society, which is our kind of cultural media who is doing the wink and a nod thing. And then the third group you have is the religious folks. And what they're saying is, okay, no, yeah, evil exists. And as a matter of fact, I'll tell you exactly the limits of it. Let me just pull out my 2,000-year-old book here, and I'll tell you just exactly what evil is. And it's nothing else. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. It's just what I define it to be. And that's the situation I think we find ourselves in. And it's a really, really bad situation in terms of trying to get to that deeper understanding of what evil is what it's all about, how it comes into play in our life, in our society, whether it's you know something that we have to work through, or whether it's something we have to avoid, or whether it's something we even have to embrace because it's you know part of our part of our makeup. You know what I mean? So I think we're we're just not put in a position where we can start having this kind of next level intelligent dialogue about evil. So to go back just a little bit on what you said, 
So we have the church on one side. We have science on the other. Uh, science that uh, is essentially materialistic, as it is, that says that, okay, we are just, like I said, the collection of neurons, so whether we do good or evil, it really doesn't matter. And then you have religion that says that um, we there is an ultimate good, there is an ultimate evil. Uh, but you bring in the popular culture aspects, and I, I kind of wanted to, to elaborate a little bit on that. How does popular culture promote the concept of evil? Well, I think we all experience that from, and again, it's been outed in almost an over-the-top way, but in terms of our music videos that are overtly satanic for whatever reason, you know, we can, we can, first of all, I'm not a Christian. So even when I say satanic, I mean, like I have a whole chapter in the book about what would that really mean if you're not Christian, but you do see it as a real thing. Cause, cause I think it's real in a couple of ways that, you know, we, we have to get to is that one if you understand that there are malevolent forces in the extended consciousness realm, not, not even understand if you're just willing to entertain that possibility and say, okay, I, I get it. What I get it, Alex, what you've kind of laid out. I'm willing to at least entertain that as a thought experiment. You know, are the, is there this extended realm? Are there malevolent forces there? Bingo. So we're there. Then the next question would be, you know, what is, what is their connection to what we see when we see people doing things like satanic ritual abuse, which is something I, I have a whole chapter in the book. Cause like, I, I, I kind of gave you guys a heads up that, you know, we'll prep, we might butt heads on a couple of things. I mean, again, I'm not a Christian. There's no way I would deny satanic ritual abuse. I get, there's too many people have come forward and said, yeah, this is what they're doing. I got the hoods on and they're speaking all this Latin and they're doing that. Now, there, there's a bunch of different ways to process that, but we, I don't know how you process, how you step over the evidence that there are people who are saying that's what we're doing. We're doing satanic rituals. And as part of it, we're doing very abusive, destructive things to people. Again, what you do with that evidence, I don't know, but that's the evidence. McMartin is, a, McMartin is a classic one. Guys, you guys are so, I don't know if you've cor corrected ship on McMartin, but you got that thing all backwards. You just totally bought into the whole satanic panic freaking craziness. I mean, satanic panic is real, and it's horrible to think that people went to prison for things that they didn't do. But do you know, have you ever heard of uh, the witch hunt narrative, that book? I mean, I've heard of the concept of it, but not, not, not the particular book, no. So this is a book that was written by Brown University scholar, you know, professor, Ross Cheat, Dr. Ross Cheat. Brown University, no slouch. The premise of the book is that this idea of the witch hunt is completely false. It isn't supported by the evidence. You know, case one of McMartin preschool, little Maddie Johnson, who's three and a half years old, you know, is barely speaking complete sentences, comes home and he's 
bleeding out of his butt and he goes to his mom and tells him that the teacher did something to him. So what she does is what any parent would do. She kind of freaks out a little bit, but she rushes the kid to the PD to their pediatrician. And the pediatrician takes one look at the kid and says, we got to go to UCLA medical center. And they go to UCLA medical center emergency room and they go, this looks like sexual abuse. And they go to the third guys connected with the police department. And then they go, this looks like sexual abuse. And the next thing you know, they're doing an investigation at McMartin preschool. So you hear all this bullshit about, uh, you know, McMartin and satanic panic. That is freaking case number zero, zero one is Maddie Johnson. What would you do if your three and a half year old comes home and he's bleeding from the butt? And then they found other kids that, that also had a, a physical evidence. And, you know, back to the Ross cheat. Uh, anyone can look this up. You can you don't even have to pay anything. You go to Amazon, look inside, look witch hunt narrative. The guy names freaking names. Here's the doctor at UCLA Medical Center that says, you know, this is I examined the kid and this is what happened. Even in the defense, the defense of the McMartin guy who did this to the kids, his defense attorney admits that the evidence on one of the girls that was molested is quite strong. But he instructs the jury to ignore that evidence because it's outside of the statute of limitations, which is his right. I mean, as an attorney, he's doing the right thing for his client. But I'm not particularly persuaded by that as an, a defense argument as to whether or not the guy really did the deed or not. He did it. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, okay. Let me try to do my best that I can with this. Um, not re having read this book, I don't know uh, really what to address as far as the book is concerned. Uh, as I understand the McMartin preschool case. Now, I, I, th I think we're going into like some, we're going into like some, some, I, I didn't intend to get this, I wanted to get a little further into the show before we talked about this, but that's fine. We're hitting it now. Anyway, um, it, it seems to me from what you just told me that actual abuse might have happened. Okay. Um, if it did, then yeah, it's it's definitely a bad thing for that to happen. The thing, though, about the satanic panic aspect of it, though, is that the possibility that maybe that if this abuse happened, that people focused on that aspect and they didn't focus on what actually might have happened this therapy clinic called children's international or children's institute international yeah so the which that might have actually sir i just want to interject real quick that that might have actually convoluted everything so much yeah that's where that i was people going. ended up yeah. going innocent who might have yeah, done that stuff that's where i was going with that that it that it might have just made it so 
uh, it just made it so convoluted and that it just became uh it just became like this media circus which is what it was and maybe there was some real abuse that that happened there the thing about the, like the satanic ritual abuse is that um I don't know to me, like, do you need the satanic ritual part? Because like the abuse part to me is like evil enough in my opinion. Like that's pretty bad. You only need it if it's true. Here's another part of the testimony. Cause they did the, you know, as you mentioned in a previous show, well, kind of one of the longer court cases in the history of Los Angeles County. So a lot of evidence was introduced. And one was the strange animal husbandry training that went on there. It's a, it's a fucking joke. It's ridiculous. I've never heard this. They admitted. So the kids report cutting the heads off of animals, putting the heads on a platter, uh, being asked to do stuff with the blood, you know, rub the blood around and this and that. So the the response to that from the defense was not that that never happened, was that they were instructing the kids in animal husbandry. Okay. So this is a satanic, it points to a satanic practice. The defense of it is absolutely over the top absurd. Now, you know, as far as we do the whole thing on the uh, you, you know, you should have on. Have you guys ever talked to John Brisson? We are going to talk to John Brisson. That that's that's going that's going to be in the works about the Finders case. Yeah, Finders case is another one. It's super interesting. It's super important. Um, but um, it, 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 so you 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 John is the expert on that. I talked to John, so I don't even. I don't even know this stuff. I just, again, like you guys, yeah, I learned this from other people I have on the show, but I, I do think it's super important. And what, what, what jumped us into this, and we can jump back out of it, is the culture part. And a lot of people are unsure whether all this, you know, Pizzagate is another one we could talk to. It really divides people. I've had, uh, you know, some of the shows that I started out and do, particularly people in the parapsychology community have really they really have mixed feelings about where Skeptico has gone. And they always point to Pizzagate for some reason, because a lot of them are kind of very left learning, left leaning California, old kind of hippie kind of vibe. Not that that's bad. I'm a California yoga, you know, smoothie drinking hippie type myself, but that, that it all gets wrapped up with, don't tell us anything about Pizzagate that we don't want to hear. Even if you say, well, gee, all the stuff that's really been released and verified about the sexual abuse of children among political people is clearly divided, if not equally, kind of more on the right than on the left. But I mean, no one escapes that. But for some reason, they just get all uppity about uh, the idea of Pizzagate, which at this point, it's it's just I don't know how anyone argues against Pizzagate. It's kind of proven at this point that the the Epstein thing kind of 
revealed all that. But more stuff has come out about Elephantis and all that, and, and certainly about Podesta and Podesta's friend, Dennis Hassert, you know, who's on the other side of the aisle, and their link we, is... We did a lot. We did a lot of... Um... We did a lot of exploration on Pizzagate, and Serfiel wasn't with us at that time. And when that started coming out, somebody that was a guest on this show uh, pointed me towards it, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll look into it. And I did. I, I looked into it pretty extensively. And I just felt like... I felt like with Pizzagate that it had a modicum of truth to it in that there are um, cases that have been that, like you just mentioned, I mean, the Franklin cover up is one of them. Um, there's the finders case, which John Brissom talks about. That's another, uh, there's been, you just mentioned Dennis Hastert. That was another thing. Another thing that happened uh, you mentioned Epstein. I feel like it has this modicum of truth, but I felt like Pizzagate got really turned into something that was just like some right-wing propaganda. That's just how I feel about it. And that's kind of the conclusion that I came came to. Okay, but as you know, I, I think you guys have, have kind of touched on this several times. And again, as we were talking about at the beginning, this is what I genuinely respect about the approach that you take, that skeptical approach. So one of the things that's always in play is co-opting the narrative, right? So, like, I love the way you talked about Flat Earth, right? Because what you said at the end, of, so you, you could do the Flat Earth thing and you can tell me kind of what you think. But what I heard you say is, yeah, it's absurd. And, uh, you know, we understand that people are kind of overwhelmed with being lied to and bullshitted. That they're just kind of become these uber empiricists where like, I don't believe anything kind of thing. Yes. And, the I, last, yeah, and I still feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. And the absolutely. last thing you threw in there, Adam, is you go and you have to consider the possibility that that may be the directive you know that may be the game to further divide smear you know divide and rule the conspiracy folks by making people look ridiculous right so it's like yeah. you can't even go there i think right. that was definitely in play with pizzagate you know how many people i talk to and they understand what pizzagate is to them is a guy gets a rifle because he's been on the internet and he goes in and he shoots up a pizza restaurant and i yeah. want to go well okay but that's not really what it, it, it the term pizzagate was coined before the guy ever did that it was coined when the real conspiracy for pizzagate that everyone misses it, it, it they didn't at the time but they do in the rework of it is that they released all these podesta emails four days before the election why that's not a conspiracy that's not an attempt to submarine hillary clinton and to fuel this narrative that they had already stoked that she's a witch that she's satanic that a podesta is tied up with all that it, four days before the election you release all these things 
That is a you can say that I don't think that's accidental. I think that's a conspiracy, an attempt to sway the electors, right? Or that sure, I absolutely agree with you on that. That's exactly what it was. So people start going through these emails, and the spirit cooking thing is just you can't deny that. That's just yes. there. Uh, hey, but I'm going to come out and say, man, really, the way that people, I'm sorry, people in the art world look at that is like she's just a performance artist there's been extreme performance art for a long time maybe she has some occult leanings beliefs etc but no one else takes that as a big deal and maybe i'm desensitized because i've been in so many of these uh artistic and, and music subcultures my whole life but honestly the abramovich to everyone in the art world most you know intelesthesia people like that it's like we it's like a so what. I mean, honestly, it's conceptual art has been pushing edgy stuff forever, and I really don't think anything of it. And I, I don't know anyone who, who's familiar with that world who does think anything of it. Well, I, I, I can't quite agree with you on that last one. I understand that world enough. Uh, my uncle was a pretty renowned artist and was head of the a sculpture department at Indiana University. I've been around that stuff all my life. Um, but that does, I, I doesn't mean that I totally disagree with kind of what you're saying. But it, it is like, the, 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 I appreciate you guys have a kind of this shaded, uh, you know, there's there's different ways to shade it. And you're looking at it one way. I'm looking another way. That's fine. The, the Thelmic, you know, she's directly linking herself to the Aleister Crowley stuff, right? So then we can go and say, you can only deconstruct Aleister Crowley like I have on the show, and you guys I'm sure have too. But the, the, the idea that people have that this stuff is related to um, what we would generally talk, call, you, you, and you can't call it, we have to get back to talking about satanic because a lot of times these people are... Uh, working with these practices that aren't really satanic as much as they are these other pagan traditions. And we can, that would catapult us into an interesting discussion though, about why evil matters is that we have to have some understanding about what's at play in terms of these malevolent forces and whether or not someone like uh, Abramovich is interested in doing trying to empower herself in this realm by marshalling the forces of this other realm in a way that most of us wouldn't feel totally comfortable with and i know i talked for a long time but you know we got to talk about annika lucas right because the other chapter in my book that i think is is key there's two of two that are really key is annika lucas is someone who, as I explain in the book, you know, I connected with her because she's a yogi and I'm into yoga and she has a, 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 a school. She does volunteer work in upstate New York. She started this incredible program for uh, incarcerated women to help them recover from trauma through yoga. But the real story about Annika Lucas is she was sold by her mother to a satanic cult when she was six years old. And you know what? Satanic never came up in the whole interview that I was talking to her. And I said, you know, what about satanic ritual abuse at one point? And she goes, well, yes, 
these guys were all these guys were all satanic. That's who they are. She was raped thousands of times. Six year old kid. She was taken to a mansion and, and raped by what she later understood to be world leaders. And this was all part of it. Did you ever hear about the Dutroux case in Belgium? Unbelievable. Yeah. It was all over the news. It was the, the biggest Epstein thing back in the 90s. And you, you want proof. They, hit, they locked the guy up. And the kids who he had left in cages in his secret dungeon died. They went and got the kids because they starved to death because he was in jail and he couldn't feed them. People who deny the satanic ritual abuse stuff, for the most part, just have have chosen to be willfully ignorant of the data. So Annika Lucas, his her story isn't even unique. There's other people that have come out and told similar stories. But, you know, the only way she got out of that thing was one of the people inside the cult felt pity on her when she was 11 years old. She had been in for five years as just a total victim. And he got her out and the guy paid for it with his life. She says they killed him. So I, I, I don't know what satanic means. I don't know what spiritual forces these people are connecting with because I'm suspicious of the Satan story but I'm not suspicious of the evil and that there is evil and there are people in this realm and in other realms, they wouldn't be people in other realms, but there are forces in other realms that for whatever reason do bad things. Oh, that's, that's a definite given. Yeah. We definitely believe that there is and has been networks of organized abuse with all kinds of international elements to it but the satanic ritual abuse narrative that this is organized as um, something satanic and occult I mean you talked about the media I don't think the satanic ritual or the satanic panic would have happened without the satanic exploitative movies of the 1970s and I've been pushed in directions to look at um, a lot of the uh, conservative Catholic elements who were opposed to Vatican II and people like Malachi Martin as being the kind of initial push that created this idea of a vast satanic conspiracy that was doing this. And Ed and Lorraine Warren were another one too. And I think more than anything though, things like Pizzagate, things like the, the idea of this widespread satanic ritual abuse actually served to muddy waters and to make it harder for real things to be uncovered. I think a lot of this is has elements of a psyop. You know, perhaps it is on another level to actually just muddy the whole thing. Yeah, because um, I think you I think you got to look at what who it's directed to. I mean, it seemed it seemed like with Pizzagate, and, and finish your thought in a second, Sergio. But it seemed with Pizzagate that it was really directed towards Christians in particular, because they're going to be the ones that are going to get much more upset about anything that has to do with like, like a satanic ritual abuse. Yeah, We're on the same page. Uh, I, I just think where where you go with that. Uh, well, well, 
I, I mean, I don't know how you process all that. And then you kind of come to exactly where you guys are coming down on that, which is to me, I mean, I think most people would be shocked to learn that there are people who are engaging in these practices, not just for the, the sexual gratification, whatever wacky sexual gratification you could get from contact with a young child like that. I mean, it's just beyond most people's imagination. But yes. the part that's really intriguing, not intriguing, that's the wrong word, but is disturbing, is that they are explicitly doing this in order to manipulate the extended consciousness realm. And the reason we know that is because, you know, back when we go to MK Ultra and we start looking at those experiments, mm -hmm. I can we can talk later about, you know, if we want, but I just had an interview with uh, Whitley Strieber, who I've, you know, followed for a long time. And uh, it just totally confirms what I've found. And also I interviewed uh, Dr. Tom Zenzer, who's a clinical psychologist that worked in the same area. But it's, it's about disassociative identity disorder related kind of manipulation of the extended consciousness realm is that that's the data that keeps coming back over and over again. And it mirrors matches what's happening with the satanic ritual abuse that somehow there's some desire to access in some way. We don't totally understand these extended consciousness realms. Well, who would know about that? I mean, if this was, uh, you know, if this did have elements of a psyop, the people who would know the language about doing this to people would be people from that world. And we're not discounting that that, that method that was discovered or rediscovered in MKUltra perhaps is older. I mean, there, there definitely is something to that. Um, but as far as trying to get to the truth in an environment that's been flooded with cottage industries of all these different, um, you know, self-appointed therapists with all these, you know, methods that aren't recognized by the, by the established way of doing things. It just, and, and the media hype, it created such an insane circus that how can one hope to find the truth in that? That's, I mean, I think we're just skeptical about, uh, finding the truth in something in something like that and at the time I mean I was you know very young obviously I still experienced the uh, some of the the echoes of it decades later but how can you find the truth in that circus I mean I'm, we're not discounting that these things have ever happened or don't continue to happen they obviously do we obviously all know about Epstein things like this but something like Pizzagate probably um, helped to cover up, you know, real things that were going on or take attention away from real things that are going on. And especially at the micro level of where most abuse really happens. Um, so I don't, it's a, it's a tough one, but I'm definitely uh, skeptical of this narrative of an, an organized uh, satanic ritual abuse. Not that I'm skeptical of organized abuse itself. Um, but I think this narrative was the conspiratorial side of me thinks that a lot of this narrative was pretty much engineered. And then a lot of people came to profit on it. And the tragedy of it is that it, it I think it's actually served to 
um, cover things up and make it hard to find and stop this type of stuff. There's, there's also too. I mean, I, I want to address the the MK Ultra stuff too because I mean, I, I think that you do have a good point there because I think that like we know and we know for absolute certainty that Dr. Ewan Cameron in Quebec, for instance, that he really like reprogrammed people to where they didn't even remember the first part of their life before he got a hold of them. So he essentially made them like dissociative. Like we know without a doubt that that happened. Um, and it could be, it could very well be. And I really hold the possibility that this ritual abuse aspect of it is part of that is part of that is a continuing part of that program. I mean, it's almost like anywhere you cut it to me, it's, it's actually evil. A few years ago we had on, uh, a gentleman that did a film called abominable, uh, which is kind of a tongue twister that, it was a documentary that he made about satanic ritual abuse. He actually knows Russ Dizdar, who I know that you interviewed and he's actually, you interview him in the book. Uh, and there, and I watched some of the special features where he talks to one of to this lady that had these abuse, these ritual, what she says was ritual abuse. And as I'm watching her talk about this, uh, her experience, I was so just like, you know, well, this is just like abuse. Like there's nothing really ritual about this. This is just like people being abused. And it gets, I think that it gets real murky. It gets real chicken or the egg too, because these people are already exposed to these ideas. So like, and it makes it more meaningful, you know, people who go through things, you know, I've, I, I grew up with a good friend of mine who was certified schizophrenic who um, you know probably experienced some abuse and came up with this whole grand conspiratorial narrative that I knew was not true because uh, I was there with him all the time and he used that to process probably things that actually happened to him but they became meaningful because they were a part of this um, you know big story now something that was more important, you know, something that was newsworthy, something that was part of a grand scheme. Um, and I, unfortunately, I think a lot of, um, a lot of people do process their actual abuse in these ways. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There's so much to pull apart, and I don't mind that we're so focused on one thing, because kind of all roads lead back to the yeah. same way, particularly when it comes to 
And when I say that, I'm really thinking of in terms of how we process this stuff, because right. guys, these are the kind of conversations I like to have. We're really getting into, you know, how would you sort that out? Which is more likely? Is it this or is it that? And I just totally respect that there isn't any hard and fast uh, answer. So I, I, I totally respect the process we're going through. So I'm going to throw out a couple of things. I'll try and make them quick. Okay. One In my look at this i i would agree that you know the the panic hysterical aspect of this is tragic it's tragic people went to jail families were destroyed lives were destroyed for crimes that they didn't commit that is hysteria that is panic and that's horrible the other side of that is that clearly the other side of this that pushed the Elizabeth, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, the false memory syndrome. Go look at the false memory syndrome at, uh, Institute. All freaking in X intelligence, freaking. I can't even say it. It's just not true. Both are true. You know, and it's like when people talk about hypnosis. I, I'm, I'm sure you know this, but hypnosis is a proven over and over again to be a reliable way to recover memory. Police officers use it all the time. They use it, um, and especially outside the United States where it's even admissible in court. But even here where it isn't admissible, it's not uncommon for someone to go undergo hypnosis, recover memory, share those memories so that then, of course, the police can't use those in court. But what they can do is use it to corroborate. Right. So it, this is just standard stuff. Oh, I was there. I was a witness at the bank robbery. I don't remember anything. OK, I go under hypnosis. Now I remember. Oh, there were actually three guys. One was wearing a cap. One was black. One was Hispanic. One was white. And I remember a tattoo on one arm. OK, like this person didn't remember this. Now they do remember it. And the people they have in custody exactly fit the description. And with other evidence, they're able to convict them. Now, I'm making that up as a hypothetical story, but it's like this stuff happens all the time. That is recovered memory. Now, that doesn't mean that repressed memory isn't, you know, and false. It doesn't mean that false memory isn't true as well. But they the the people who had the most to gain from the false memory syndrome meme that got perpetrated were the people who are doing these crimes, the McMartin people who did the shit to Maddie Johnson. Those were the ones who had most to gain. The psychologist in that case was uh, the most despicable, greedy, uh, professional you could ever do what he did in many cases what they uncovered was he didn't even in some cases he led as we saw you know in the videos he led the kids and helped them construct false memories but in other cases he just didn't even bother he just made up you know he just copied whatever the person had before and said yeah he told me the same thing so did they throw did they as you guys said you know mess up the case? Did they add to the hysteria? Did they do? Yeah, yeah. All that stuff is true. But it's also true that this false memory syndrome stuff, in my, in my read of it, is most connected to uh, 
defense attorneys who are defending pedophiles. That's just how it looks. And I interviewed, you know, the, the opening chapter of the book is my interview with FBI, uh, NAMBLA, North American Man Boy Love Association, you know, Bob Hammer. He is a no bullshit 20 year FBI guy. And he'll tell you what lying freaking guys these they have nothing to lose. I mean, if you're if, if you're convicted of these crimes, you're not even going to make it in prison. So they will lie it. Whatever they have to do to get off of it. So I'll leave that. But I do want to leave time to circle back and tell you what Whitley Strieber uh, told me about his personal account, because I think it relates to all this. Well, uh, just to address the McMartin preschool case, I mean, it, it, it seems it is nebulous. And I do admit that um, from what you're telling me. But it kind of seems that like, you know, that maybe the guy possibly was the perpetrator and the two women, maybe they just got caught up into the, in, in, into the fray, so to speak. Um, I found I have found it really interesting though, that the kids did talk about the, the underground tunnels and there were underground tunnels underneath. So, I mean, that's almost where like, where I just leave it essentially is there. I mean, just take it where I don't really know where to take it. Honestly, on McMartin in and of itself. No, I got you. There's no end to how far you can research this stuff. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. What did Streber say? Whitley Streber as most people know is most famous for the book he wrote. I think it was in 1989 or 87, the book communion. Right. And what's if people don't remember, cause I'm a little bit older, but I remember when that book came out, it was transformative to people to even see that image. You talk about repressed memory. It triggered a lot of repressed memories for people just the first time they saw it. No priming, no anything else. They saw that alien supposedly on the cover of that. So Whitley recounted his experience in the forest of Maine, and he's never changed that. And he's added to it, and he's further written many, many books, done hundreds and hundreds of interviews including he had an implant supposedly that uh, Dr. Lear couldn't remove because the implant was moving and all these other things. But the story, here's Whitley's story. Whitley grew up in San Antonio, Texas. His father was in military intelligence, interestingly enough, Air Force intelligence. When Whit Whitley was a young kid, an, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the Air Force Base. They came to his house and they said, hey, Whitley, we got a great program for gifted kids like you. And we'd like for you to come with us to this program. And he said, when he got there, there were kids in cages, literally in cages. And he said it was the most traumatic, horrifying experience of his life. And it went on for months. And the only way that he got out of it 
was that he got very, very sick from another related illness that wasn't related to anything they did to him. And that's what got him out. But he says, you know, the kid across the street who went with me, kid was never the same. Never even got out of his house after that. Died at 50 years old in his house. He said his sister destroyed, destroyed as a person that this disassociative identity, because uh, it was part of an MK Ultra program. And what they did to these kids in these Faraday cages and the abuse that was inflicted upon them was intentionally an attempt to weaponize this extended consciousness that seems to be easier and more malleable in young kids. And Whitley said when he came out of that, he was so traumatized that it, later in his life, he tried to put it back together. Everything that happened, including taking a trip to uh, Monterey, Mexico, because he remembers it. And when you talk to Brisson, John Brisson, ask him about the finders cult, ask yep. him about Mexico, where they took these kids. Mm -hmm. And Whitley said he found the hotel, but he couldn't find the other things. Just to interject, the first time I heard about the Finder's case was Streber, by the way. But because he feels he feels that there's a connection with what happened to him, I think it's an amazing account. I don't even know how we connect that to the ET thing, but it is, you know, it is something that we have to consider. Particularly, you know, I don't know if you know the the. Do you guys know Grant Cameron? Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with him. Yeah. The UFO researcher, Grant Cameron from Canada, right. I always thought he had an unbelievably great insight in with the Wilbert Smith memo that was famously released in the Freedom of Information Act. But the let, you know, the memo, I'll spare you the long story, but the guy from Canada goes down and he says, oh, the U.S., I shared with them our UFO stuff. They shared it back with me. It's the highest level thing. Vandervar Bush, you know, he lays out all the guys who are there. And this was supposed to be a secret memo. And it's the highest level thing. But the last sentence of it, Adam, he says that there is the, the key to this is a mental phenomenon that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Grant's conclusion from that, and I happen to agree with him, is that at that point in the 50s, they understood through their contact with ET that there was this extended conscious, you know, if nothing else than telepathic communication, that there was something beyond our normal consciousness that was somehow related to that. And what Grant thinks is that that was definitely part of the agenda for MKUltra because MKUltra picks up right after that. I think these things have a lot of purposes. Like, you know, I do think the 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 cover story for MK Ultra is also true that you know, the Korean the Korean prisoners were came back and they were being quote unquote mind controlled. Well, we've got to figure out what's happening to our boys, you know, kind of thing. But I think this is very possibly another part of it is that there was some knowledge of ET in the extended realm and we felt like we needed to understand that more. Well, how do you um, how do you see? Because I noticed that you you do interview Diana Pasuka in the book, and we've had her on as well. And um, what did you think of her? Oh, she's great. 
I mean, yeah, she's, we like her a lot. she's, she's excellent. I mean, she's really got her, she's really got a good head around the whole subject, especially being a, uh, a professor of religion as she is. But, uh, your, what's your own personal feelings about extraterrestrials? I mean, do you, I mean, I, we come down on the whole, you know, where like, you know, Soraya, where did the road go? And Joshua Cutchin, Renner and all these guys, we come down on that same path that this is more just something that's like interdimensional or something that's, that's here or something that's spiritual. Yeah. I don't know how you guys do that. I mean, I don't know how you go through Diana Pasolka's uh, kind of thing and come out on the other side of that. I mean, I, I interviewed, I interviewed Jacques Vallée. Jacques Vallée plays a, a important role in that consciousness first understanding of et but when you really talk to jacques valet he says well it's not just consciousness jacques valet is very interested in uh uh trace uh you know trace elements of the ufo the slag that he's collected that he's analyzed in laboratories and says it couldn't possibly come from this planet diana walsh pasolka she's out there in the desert with tyler right and and tyler durden you know who's not, not tyler durden but that's the character <laughs> he's he's kind of tyler right, he's right. taking the name of tyler durden tyler right. is it has these special metal detectors right in the desert they're finding pieces of spacecraft which whether you believe that or not follow the freaking money he's re reverse engineering that stuff and creating products and patents that have made him millions of dollars the guy flies on lear jets like they're ubers he calls him up on the cell phone he shows up he stays at the ritz hotel for thousands of dollars a night and wears gucci clothes from his freaking space junk patents so this idea i'm all about consciousness man i mean that's my main thing but i don't know how you step over the data of a physical component to the ufo phenomenon and therefore the the et i don't know how people process ufos and then say yeah but that doesn't prove et i, I mean i, I guess i well, think it, like any i think like any other spiritual phenomenon it can manifest itself in ways that are physical yeah. and that's her that's where she, her background in studying relics comes in because she's yeah, guys, she's comparing then nothing, that material then there's to nothing to talk about then then i get it i do get it but then there really isn't anything to talk about you know, if we're saying, well, even if we were able to find physical evidence, even if E.T. showed up on the White House lawn, even if E.T., you know, you had a personal experience with him. Well, it could all be just, you know, in it could all be, you know, somehow magical in some way. I mean, I, I don't deny that that's true. I'm just saying from a how, how do you really do anything? Well, well, I think there is this the weird spiritual component but then i also think there is the secret technology component and those may be different things uh the technology may be inspired um but i think there there's probably more than one thing going on um i'm not vehemently against extraterrestrials physical extraterrestrials but it's just i i just my personal doubt gets in the way of it well to me i i, I look at 
this possibly being a much more spiritually based phenomenon. And I actually got started in this from a Christian viewpoint and I've since kind of, I don't know, adapted it a little bit, but to me, I look at it from the point of view that if these, these contacts that are going on and these experiences that people are having are very much in the way of like a modern day religious transcendent experience. And that, that to me is more infinitely fascinating than somebody coming from, from Zeta Reticuli. And then plus things that like, I know you've talked to Joshua Cutchin. I mean, things that like Joshua, that Josh talks about where he deals these books that compare all these different aspects between Bigfoot phenomenon, alien phenomenon, uh, fairy phenomenon, all these types of different aspects. And it's just like, there's so much more that I feel is going on. In, and in, all of those have physical way. manifestations. Yeah. And, and I kind of gather too, Alex, that you really believe that there are spiritual entities. Correct. And I believe that Josh is a, an important contributor to this whole field. And I think the kind of work that he's done is exactly the kind of stuff that propels us forward. And I think it's cool that you guys are kind of playing that that edge because that edge is i think where all the action is i mean if you come down too hard one way or another you're going to be you're going to be zapped uh by the evidence i i guess you know the one the one other piece i guess i'd throw up as you know maybe we wrap this up is another interview that really it's not in this book i don't think it's in my other book either but i did an interview with Artie six color clark mm-hmm. who is a professor have you ever interviewed her no, I haven't, but I've heard her plenty of times on uh, Soraya's show. She's great, right? Oh yeah, she talks a lot about the like the Native American experiences of of extra well of extraterrestrial contact. Yeah, yeah, and um, she, you know, she's an anthropologist, uh, Montana State University, and she's in that department there, and she's trained in that, and her work is at that level, that caliber. She's not a just a YouTuber or somebody like that. She's super smart person. She's also native American, but the, the, the interesting thing about that from an anthropological standpoint is across time, across culture, right? When we find stuff that keeps popping up consistently across time and consistently across cultures, then we got to go, Hmm, that's, you know, kind of, Maybe we should give it a little bit more weight. And that's what her work, I think, does. She has all these different groups. Uh, now she's gone beyond the United States, but also in Canada, Central America. Um, and they're saying star people, they come from the stars. They told us they came from the stars. You go over to Africa, same thing. They came from the stars. That's why we wear these masks and we do this. So I'm not saying that's the be all end all. And I don't want to come down. I want to stick to what I'm saying, you know, that I like the edge that you guys are at. I'm on the edge, but I guess I'm a little bit more on the other side of the edge is that the Occam's razor, if you will, to me points to the simplest answer is that what all these folks are saying is true, that they came from the stars, you know, I don't know where the fairies came from. I don't know how they play into it. I think it's real. I don't know where the angels come from. I think they're real. I don't know where the demonic things 
come from. I'm inclined to agree with Tom Zinzer that it's really about being stuck and about the same way that creepiness happens in this realm, because from a spiritual standpoint, I think it's really about the light. I don't think it's really about the darkness. I think the darkness gets way, way too much attention. I agree with you. We're all inherently good divine beings and that we can always seek the light no matter what. So, you know, a lot of stuff there. Yeah, there is. There's a, there's a ton there to, to, to unpack. And I mean, it's, I I do personally believe that there's like a spiritual world. I mean, I I have myself um I've experienced it. Um it so for me just personally I I I know that that it exists and everything that I've done, I think with this show and like my whole entire life looking into this all these different kinds of like supernatural things has been just a way to further kind of edify me in that. And I don't, I, I, I really do agree with you as far as just like, you know, like, I don't believe we're just meat suits (laughs) or rather we're just, we're just biological robots as you put it. You know, I think we have meat suits is, is what I wanted to say there, but it, and I wanted to talk you a little bit to you about like the near death experiences. Um, and I guess we can talk about the negative ones, but you know, near death experiences to me are some of the most fascinating. Um, I can remember there was a case where a woman died and she said she went above her body. She went out of the hospital she saw like a shoe on top of the hospital roof. Right. And she came back into her body. She told people that she saw a shoe somehow that stood out to her. And later on, when they actually went up to the roof, there was a shoe on the roof. So it's like, you know, this, it's like a validation of like, there is some kind of external consciousness. How do you feel about the, the NDE experience? I, I come to the same conclusion you do. And, you know, really my journey on this thing, as we talked about at the beginning, I kind of started with the parapsychology stuff because it seemed like closest to science. And that's where I wanted to stay. But pretty soon I understood that what we're really talking about here is consciousness. And of the the science stuff, the near-death experience science seemed to me to be the most direct way to answer the question. Because if consciousness survives bodily death, then it's game over. So at this point, there's been over 200, more than 200, peer-reviewed papers on near-death experience science, published in some of the biggest, a lot of times, medical journals in the country or in the world, like The Lancet, you know, and, and, and many, many other Uh, uh, medical journals and other scientific journals. And again, because when we talked about the beginning, the conspiracy, the scientism conspiracy, the the critics get way, way overplayed here because they really don't. Every reputable, meaningful near-death experience researcher has come to the same conclusion. Mm -hmm. 
consciousness in some way we don't understand seems to survive bodily death. And anyone you hear who kind of spins it, well, they're not really dead because they came back. That's just not true. I mean, you gotta, you can't move the goalposts in the middle of the game. And the people we're talking about in these medical studies are dead, clinically dead, by every means we have of measuring death. And they're in a state where all the neurological work we've done for the last 60 years right. on humans and on animals would suggest that their brain cannot be having a consciousness, a conscious experience, let alone the kind of complex, you know, super consciousness experience where it's the most transformative thing in your life. It, it just medically, neurologically couldn't happen. So the data is really overwhelming. And the most overwhelming data I always point to is the one where they've looked at people uh, who've been resuscitated, particularly after cardiac arrest, because usually that occurs at least two or three minutes after the brain, again, is not in a state where it can generate consciousness and people are able to reliably say what happened during the resuscitation. Yeah, they wheeled me in and they tried those paddles. They put those on and those didn't work. So this other guy came out and he had this crazy orange hat on and he jumped on me and he was pounding me. And then they mm -hmm. go to the control group. The control group in this case is the people who had resuscitation, but didn't have a near death experience. And they say, what happened to you? And I said, well, what do you mean? What happened to me? I was, I, I was dead. I did nothing. I just woke up, you know? So, when they do those kind of experiments and they've done them, repeated them, and they're published them in peer-reviewed journals, that's pretty strong, strong evidence that people are, you know, consistently saying that they can exactly recount their resuscitation experience from a position outside of their body when the other group that didn't have the near-death experience can't do that. And I guess the only thing that they um, they have right now is the skeptics have is that they just say perhaps uh, we don't have a way to measure the neurological activity that's going on, which is kind of a weak argument. Well, that's you know that's promissory you know science. Like in the future, <laughs> we may be able to prove that's just not that's not acceptable as any kind of really reasonable scientific argument that in the future, we may be able to prove something that, that conforms to my belief. Right. Agreed. Yeah. I find it fascinating. I also find the reincarnation stuff really fascinating too. You, you mentioned um, Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker in the book as well. Uh, I find that that, that stuff to me is like, really really fascinating well adam i heard an interview where you seemed very well versed in some some of the best cases and uh again i you know i commend you for, for just saying wow that's solid data that i can't you know just step over so yeah. there we have it and I, I i'm with you i love your your kind of measured skepticism because what you're saying is, no, I'm not going to ignore the data, but I'm not going to pretend I know what that means. Because I think you're right. We don't really know 
what that really means in terms of reincarnation. We, it points in a certain direction, but I, I like that you're hesitant to kind of, you know, jump in there and say, oh, this is, you know, this is what it means. Yeah, I kind of have my own weird experience with that, too. Oh, um, really? What's that? <laughs> it was, it's this weird memory that I have. Um, when I was, like, really little... Uh, well, it's like, it's actually like a memory of like being in like, it was like, I almost think it was like a battlefield or something. And I can remember seeing somebody on a horse with like a tricorner hat, you know, and like, and then like my next memory is probably like me being three or something like my third birthday party or something like that. It's this really strange memory that I have and I've never been adequately, like I can even like see it in my mind still. It's that vivid, but I've never adequately been able to explain it. People have said like, well, war and peace was on TV and then maybe you saw that maybe, I don't know, but it, it's, it kind of like was one of those things that kind of like a sparked, um, um, a fascination with that. I'd love to get Jim Tucker on the show, uh, to talk about some of his stuff, because I don't know if you've ever, there was some, you know, like super paranormal TV. I don't really buy into a lot anymore, but like there was a show that he, that, that had him on about like called the ghost inside my child where they talked about, um, how, uh, some of these cases that he'd looked into and seemed like some of the data sets were really, um, really matched to actual people's lives. Um, when you start getting really deep into it like that, it's just like, there's something going on here. Um, I don't know. Was it soul survivor about the little boy that said that he was an Iwo Jima? That's a real fascinating case. I read that one. Uh, and then Ian Stevenson's uh, material who Tucker was his student really. Um, I mean, he, he focused on the East and he focused on an area that, you know, like reincarnation is just part of their religion to them. It's, it's nothing unusual. Like we debate about it here. Um, because, you know, Christian Christianity doesn't accept it. Neither does science. Obviously. I saw recently like a, like a danger warning sign, I think in India and the sign, I think pretty much said like, you know, do not approach this area if you do not have faith in rebirth or something like that. Like they had actual warning sign. I had a friend that wanted to do a uh, reincarnation insurance that like, if you, like, if you, you, mem- you like you could get your money back if you memorized a word, it was ridiculous. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have many uh, people filing to accept it. Would you be paid off? You know? So I'm curious uh, from you, Alex, we did a survey before we actually came on the show here. That was so great that you guys filled that out. I'm curious to know how we did on it. No, I, I I have a lot of respect for you guys. And so I I was, we were very, very in sync on, uh, on our, our answers. Cause I sent you my answers too, you know? So, Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in a PDF there. So. Um, no, we're like, (laughs) we're very, we're of the same mindset. 
Well, there's two of uh, there's two of us here, so I'm curious to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm looking. I think I'm looking at which one is this? I have to kind of. Okay, so this one's Surfy Hills, and then. Uh... So I shouldn't say that. Whoa! Wait a minute. What if I get over to Adams and he's like, "Oh, Adam left a lot more blank." I think the moral imperative thing is really is really kind of an interesting one. And it sounds like we're all kind of in sync. There is good, you know, there is, there is good, right? Yes. Yeah. And just uh, keeping up your, even on a purely uh, practical level, you know, just keeping up your end of the bargain in society. Yeah. Um, if you want to exist with other I, people. I, I think it know? goes way beyond that. I do. I do too. But I mean, even at just that level. Okay. No, I, I love the, I love the survey. Uh, I just, you know, uh, like the one thing I always know in the survey is when people won't fill it out or will only fill out one or two questions, which is totally everyone, anyone's right. But it's like, uh, I know where they're coming from. They're triggered already, which again, now, you know, it's, it's cool that, that we're, we're all like this, you know, that, that we're, we're, together in in this way all of us being truth seekers on this show right now is that i'm not triggered by anything you guys say i have the utmost respect for the fact that you know you guys are, are trying to figure this stuff out just way that i'm trying to figure it out on any firm answers right so uh yeah you guys seem very open and i love that are you going to organize that into any kind of um system that like defines you as a type or something like that like ah, that would be interesting wouldn't it that would be interesting yeah i just think it is somewhat it, so people they don't know because i'm looking at it here like the first question is science question mark check all that apply yes duh progress iphones and stuff you could check that and then the second one is no duh myth of progress nuclear annihilation and stuff <laughs> Or three, it's a method, not a position statement, which is what Adam checked. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. You get what you pay for inextricably linked to scientific materialism. So you know what I'll do? I'd be happy to send this or we can publish a link and anyone who's uh, listening to Conspiranormal can yeah. fill it out and we'll, uh, I'll circle those back to you. You guys can see what your audience thinks if you like. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. That sounds great. That sounds really great. Well, this has been an excellent discussion, Alex. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I think that we've, um, you know, I think we've had a really, really good discussion tonight. And uh, this book, uh, when does it come out? Yeah, like the end of January, beginning of February, it'll be up on Amazon and it's on my website and all that stuff. Okay. okay. So it'd be like... Uh, skeptico.com yes with a k on the end ko and where can people hear the show i mean i'm sure it's everywhere that podcasts are so yeah skeptico.com been there for a while <laughs> awesome awesome well we really appreciate you coming on this has been great um we uh i think we've um we covered some good ground I don't think I got to, I don't think I got to all my questions, but I think, I think I <laughs> well, we'll, we'll do it again. I'm going to ping you guys in a few months and maybe have you over on my, 
okay. my turf and we'll do it again because uh, I really, really enjoyed the conversation. It was great. Yeah, same here. Same here. Okay. Well, on that note, guys, we will be uh, right back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. Okay, uh, we are back. Uh, that was a very interesting discussion with Alex Sakaris from the Skeptico podcast. And um, we got um, kind of bogged into the whole like satanic panic thing for a little while and the satanic ritual abuse stuff. But it was still a really, really interesting conversation. Um, I think in that, yeah, and I think in that respect, I think that we kind of agree to disagree on that. Um, I'm kind of nuanced on the satanic panic. I've, I've looked into it. I've studied it a lot. Some of the big Martin preschool stuff that he threw at me, I wasn't really as aware of, uh, some of those aspects, but um, yeah, uh, that is part of the book. It's not the whole book. And I felt like we covered, we covered a good portion of what he talks about in the book. Um, now, I mean, you guys can go back and you can listen to several episodes that we did at the beginning of 2017, where I talked quite a lot about Pizzagate and kind of like my feelings about it. Um, I'll reiterate that I don't buy into the Pizzagate stuff. I think that there were some things at the time in those emails that I thought were strange, but I'm not certain exactly what was being talked about. So I really don't know. Um, I don't. I, I don't, I'm not, um, I, I really feel that like Pizzagate was really being used as like a propaganda tool and it's really what has, as we've talked about with Robert Guffey and recluse, it's really what is spurred on the whole QAnon movement now and which is really, as we've kind of revealed and as recluse is revealed on the farm as like more of just a kind of, um, a psyop, uh, alternate reality kind of game kind of thing. This type of thing that I think that goes on. And I'm not so sure that Alex himself is like totally convinced into it, but it is what it is. And we kind of like agree to disagree on that. So, so what were you, your thoughts on that as far as Pizzagate, i mean obviously it is a rehashing of satanic panic stuff and i mean like i always say we're not doubting the reality that there is organized abuse but the way that the satanic panic um 
came along um, is really fishy and, you know, looks like it had a lot of political implications and the cottage industries of all these unscrupulous people sprang up everywhere and they promoted a lot of this crap on, um, you know, daytime television, people like Oprah and, and Geraldo and Donahue and, um, yeah, Geraldo especially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes without saying, I'm very skeptical of SRA uh, in general, not to say that there are not cultists who do do things, but we know the overwhelming majority of things that we should worry about are on a much more micro level. And um, I don't know, I just think it's kind of unfortunate we got bogged down in that stuff because we do have a lot more in common. I don't understand why people don't see this narrative as having a political origin. And he's not a fundamentalist Christian or even a Christian at all. So this is something that began to right. be peddled. Right. I can't. I can't really. I can't really speak for him necessarily. I mean, I could say that you know he has, but he's he has talked about this um, a few times. But I can say that really the reason that it's that people don't look at it critically is especially when you are in a religious, when you're in a religious group, I think it really feeds on those fears. And I think it's, I think it's designed to feed on people's fears. We were talking earlier today about something that we talked about right when you first joined the show, which is Dave McGowan's program to kill. And I think that McGowan really gets he goes into the satanic panic stuff himself like he just kind of falls into it in that book but the point that he kind of makes and he makes this with the serial killers is that he felt that it was like a continuation of operation phoenix and you will you when you look at a psychological warfare operation like phoenix the phoenix program in the vietnam war which we've talked about it was something that really preyed on the religious beliefs of the Vietnamese and the satanic panic in and of itself is very much the same kind of thing. Essentially it preys on and is promoted by the religious beliefs of a culture in this case, our own culture. So I think that that's something to really, um, to really keep in mind what agenda there was in doing that. I don't know. And I can't say, but there may have been so it may have been its own kind of psyop to see what could be whipped up in the community. Uh, Intelligence agencies have done this. It happens. It's not. Uh, it's not impossible. And maybe it was just there, some kind of psychological operation. The other part of the of it is that, like you yeah. mentioned, it really helped the media sell uh, TV ads. <laughs> so there's a cross. 
I think that there's there's two or three different things happening at once to create a perfect storm. Yeah, and like I said, I've been pointed at really looking at some of those um, uh, um, conservative Catholic elements as to some of the Genesis. And if you're talking about that, then that is the most, uh, you know, organized networks of abuse that we uh, most publicize that we know about, you know, worldwide. And so what interest would they have in promoting something like this for people to look at perhaps imaginary things going on when that is going on? And that was in its heyday. So yeah. it's it's just weird, man. Then it's 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 a deflection. And to kind of address the McMartin stuff, I mean, if what Alex is saying is true, if what he's saying from the um, from this book that that he read and some of this information, if real abuse was going on, and it got sidelined to because of this ridiculous satanic panic stuff that got added on to the actual yeah. abuse. And that's a tragedy. Then it just truly muddied the waters and it really allowed somebody, an abuser to go free. But how do you know? How do you know after, you know, it's people, people were looking in one direction because they thought that, you know, the kids were down there having religious um, satanic being abused religiously and satanically. And uh, they were partying with Chuck Norris down in the, in the, in the it was tunnels. way more than that. It's crazy. Actual bro. real things, actual yeah. real things, actual sexual abuse could have been going on in the tunnels, you know, and then it just got lost in, in just the craziness of the situation. I mean, in, in my point in, it kind of rehashing what we talked about. My point was that it doesn't matter if like people are dressing up in cloaks and they're sacrificing babies and, and, and all this kind of thing. If children are being abused, it's just evil. It's just plain evil. Like there's no other way to look at it, whether it's satanic or not. And most of the time it's people in, in their own families that are doing it. Like, if you look at it statistically, that's how it is. The people who really push the altar ideas and everything, um, you know, obviously they they probably got it from some kind of source who might have known something about the excesses of MKUltra. Um, I don't even know if that material was totally out there yet. Um, you know, where that actually evolved from but the people who really popularized it it was done in very exploitative ways too so it's hard to yeah of course these things have happened this is a possibility but you know it was popularized by the handlers of kathy o'brien and bryce taylor pretty much is where those ideas really got a foothold and so which was almost just like you know pornography for christians yeah these these women were hypnotically regressed and recalled all this of course also and you know of course we also don't um um agree that hypnotic regression is is that uh is uh, i'm sure it works sometimes but i don't think it's that reliable um for you know hitching belief 
to something like this on. Yeah. Well, especially especially if it's okay. So to address that just real quickly, um, when it's done by like a professional hypnotist or a psychologist, psychiatrist or whatever, maybe there is something to it. Um, but when it's done, oh, but these these uh yeah these people who are doing that in the eighties around the satanic panic shit like they well even well them, them and then not, also the alien abduction you know. people too I mean like you know Bud Hopkins yeah you know, Bud yeah. Hopkins was the holy Haley thing we he was about. not a uh, professional psychologist David nor, nor was David Jacobs I mean Bud Hopkins was an artist and David Jacobs was a historian. Uh, so that's the, if you, if you talk to you know, if you listen, go back to listen to our show with Jack Brewer, I mean, you know that. So, you know, were these people that were actually, that actually did these regressions, would they actually, would that stuff have hold held up in a court of law? And it actually didn't in the, um, case of the, of McMartin. Again, it just muddied the water. So it sucks that we got kind of stuck on that. It's just, uh, well, it just sucks. We got stuck on it. And when, um, when something like that comes up too, I just feel like we have to clarify our position so much because it's such a hot potato, um, that that takes even more yeah. time, which, you know, we've been talking for who knows how long on this, this outro about it. But other than that, um, you know, we do have a lot in common and, um, you know the 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 near death experience stuff the uh the ideas of uh you know questioning the the fundamentalist materialism and some of the shortcomings of organized religion as well i mean we're all you know pretty close to the same page on that stuff so you know it's an interesting talk and we we were pretty civil about everything else we didn't agree on yeah i agree uh, I wanted to do before we go, uh, we usually in this space, we kind of do the whole like Patreon spiel, which, um, if you guys know, we've got new levels and new prizes and stuff, stuff like that that you can, you can join now. So definitely, you know, go check that out. But, uh, we'd like to point you guys, um, to this, um, uh, you guys may remember, Jedediah, who had been on the show before talking about some of his paranormal experiences. He was also on Strange Familiars. He actually came from Indiana with his wife, Erica, uh, to Strange Realities back in 2019. And we got to hang out with him there. Over on New Year's Eve, he actually passed away. Uh, he was very young his early forties. It was very sudden, very surprising, uh, very shocking for all of us. And, uh, I just wanted to read this. This is a go from gofundme.com. If you guys want to help out, uh, this is called Erica lost her soulmate, help her keep her farm on new year's Eve, 2020 Jedediah Martin passed away unexpectedly, leaving Erica with the immense responsibility of taking care of their small farm, their dream in rural Indiana. Erica and Jedediah's dual income helped cover a lot of the expenses, but now those future expenses are uncertain. The animals that they loved and cared for together still have needs that need to be met daily, which, by the way, they raise goats. 
mortgage, car payments, feed costs have not stopped with Jedediah's passing. The last thing Jedediah would want is for Erica to have to give up their dream. The farm where goats frolic, hogs root, chickens peck, and friends, family, and strangers are welcomed with a kind heartedness that was Jedediah. As Erica goes through the hardest struggle she has ever faced, let us help her have one less thing to worry herself with this heartbreaking time. It doesn't matter if you can give a th- give one dollar or a hundred. The fact is that the heartache and anguish that Eric is going through now will soften with time, but she needs our help now so that the future of her and Jedediah's dream is not lost with him. Let's show Jer- let's show Erica how much we love her and remember Jedediah for his amazing heart, his many talents, and his contagious, kind-hearted spirit. And I want to say that uh, my heart really goes out to Erica, and my prayers too. Um, it's unfortunate loss. Yeah, he was, was a really good guy. He was great. And, um, yeah, it just came as a total surprise. He's he's definitely one of Conspiranormal's number one supporters for years. And uh, got to meet him and hang out with him. That was real special. I'm glad we got to do that. And please, guys, just like anything you can do to help. He was a great guy. Yeah. And she really needs help. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think we're going to uh, end it there. Uh, But guys, um, we will be uh, doing a special Patreon episode. Uh, So come, if you are a Patreon, join us there. We won't be otherwise, and that we'll be back next week on Conspiranormal. spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.